Thanks, Ken. <laughs> that's a little intimidating. How are you two doing? <laughs> yeah, that's okay. I just want to move this right here. <laughs> wow. Well, the real speaker couldn't be here, but Ken called me last night, and I flew in, so the real speaker will hopefully show up someday. Um, had some time to hang out with your pastor, and I hope that uh, I hope that you're aware that you're part of something that's really abnormal. Churches in America don't grow; uh, they're mostly in decline, and so you're part of something that's pretty amazing. And I hope you take advantage of that. I hope you don't get numb to that because it's really easy to do, right? It's still church, nine thirty on Sunday, eight o'clock for godly people, which. <laughs> And I wasn't at that service, just so you know, as, as the guest speaker. I don't know who spoke, but um, but yeah, I, ho- I, ho- I hope that you're excited about what's going on here at Antioch. And just as I get to work with church planners around the country, your pastor just loves you, loves Ben, loves the church, loves God, and and that's that's a cool thing to have and be a part of. So I hope you hope you never forget that or lose sight of it. It's really inconvenient to be part of a church plant, too, which is good. Jesus likes to keep us that way. That's why he sends out the 12 and goes, don't take anything with you, by the way. And you're like, that sucks. I want to." <laughs> That's what I would have said in Aramaic in the day, <laughs> which doesn't sound nearly as bad. When I was... Um, when I was back in college, I had a, a friend who was really zealous about sharing his faith all the time. I don't know if you've met these people. Um, and and it, it seems like it's the right thing to do. I mean, so that whenever I'm around someone that, that always shares their faith, I feel guilty because I don't share mine enough. But the the way this guy did it was he'd just make it really awkward. So he had this gift to make any moment really awkward. And uh, and there was one time where he picked up, him and his wife picked up this German girl who was hitchhiking across the country. And uh, I, was, <laughs> I was afraid I was on the screen because I saw a video camera there. And I'm like, oh, no, that would be horrible. I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm just waking up, actually, the 8 o'clock service I slept through. and But he picked up this German girl, and so we go out to this coffee shop, and we're talking about her growing up in Germany and what that was like and on and on. And he interrupts the conversation and goes, have you ever heard a Christian testimony? And uh, naturally, like, no one even knows what that is, most people. So she says no, and I'm thinking, where is this going? And he turns to me and says, Rick, tell her your Christian testimony. (laughs) So I've been a Christian. I've been following Christ for like a year and a half, two years, something like that. So I don't really have much of one yet. And I give the most canned, ridiculous thing I wrote for a class somewhere, you know, or that's what I wrote to get into school. And uh, and we all sit there when I finish. I don't know if he's going to give an altar call at the coffee shop or what's going to happen. And... He looks at her and goes, so, you know, do you want to be able to, do you want to trust Jesus? And she says, no, I don't. And uh, it, 
It was one of those moments that you're like, I hope that I never am part of anything like that ever again. <laughs> the thing about my friend, though, is he, he was super zealous for talking about Jesus and serving Jesus. He just had one minor flaw, and he couldn't stay faithful to his wife. And, and so here was someone who made me feel guilty all the time that I wasn't sharing my faith more, when the reality was he wasn't really that interested in following Jesus, but he really liked to convert people to him, which I thought was odd. And so what I want to talk about today is um, how do we not do that? How do we not be that guy? And I I love him, and, um, you know, God can redeem lots of situations. But at the end of the day, I don't think that's what Jesus had in mind when he said, go into all the world and embarrass me, you know? If you have a Bible, turn with me to John chapter 14. I just want to look at a verse that's really familiar to a lot of you. And essentially, Jesus had said um, that he's going away, and he's going to go prepare a place for the disciples. And Thomas, and I don't know if, I I love Thomas because he always... He seems like the one guy out of the 12 that was willing just to go, let's cut the bull here. And so he's like, how are we supposed to know where you're going? How do we know the way? And Jesus says, I'm the way, and I'm the truth, and I'm the life, and no one comes to the Father except through me. If you really knew me, you would know my Father as well. And from now on, you do know him, and you have seen him. It's a verse that we often use when we're talking to people uh, when it comes up that we're sharing our faith because we use it to say Jesus is exclusively the way to heaven, the way to God. So it's not through another path. It's not through Buddha. It's not through whoever. It's through Jesus. And that is a claim that Jesus is making. The problem that I see is that for most Christ followers, he's not our exclusive way exclusive truth and exclusive life so we talk about him propositionally as though we have some kind of ace card to thump the german traveler with but when we go home or go to work in this case we're not really interested in jesus being our way to faithfulness with our wife our way to the truth of what god says about adultery our way to life which doesn't involve killing a marriage. And, and so what, I'm, what I want us to do today is look at these three things and ask, how can Jesus be our way? How can Jesus be our truth? How can Jesus be our life? And the way of Jesus is the way of the Father to the cross, and it's a way that's not marked out by the cultural sexiness of uh, social justice or being progressive about global advocacy, which are all really important things. But ultimately, the way of Jesus is the way that we come to know ourselves most truly in the deep kind of interior regions of our personhood. And we come to know ourselves through Jesus, not for the sake of knowing ourselves, but for the sake of knowing Jesus. The the thing that's hard about finding Jesus as the way is that he is this narrow way. He said so himself, that he was the narrow road among hundreds of other streets. And those streets seem much broader, much more well-traveled. They're paved, they're well-lit, and they seem to be excited 
I mean, people are flying up and down these streets. There's lots of energy. There's advertisements and billboards. There's um, cul-de-sacs that go off in all kinds of directions. And so some people spend their whole life driving around a cul-de-sac of addiction, a cul-de-sac of success, a cul-de-sac to get the approval of their parents. But, but whatever way it is, it's a big, broad way with lots of offshoots that don't go anywhere. There's train wrecks all over the place, cars piling up. But most of the time we're going so fast that we don't really stop to go, what's going on here? And the, um, the heart, your heart, my heart, our heart's always seeking a way. So even when we pull off to the side of this big, wide cultural highway, we're always wondering what's up ahead, what's next, what's going on down there. Maybe, maybe there's a big crowd up there. If we hurry up, we could catch it. We could be part of it. And in the midst of this, there's this little road sign that simply says the Jesus way, and it's going off into this very narrow kind of hiking path. And you recognize that you can't take your car, and it's not going to be really busy. And there's not many people on it for some reason. It's a path that goes up winding hills, grassy knolls, quiet streams, arid places where you shed all that you have, which is unnecessary, which isn't like the easiest thing to advertise. It's not, it's hard to spin that well. Come be the seed that falls into the ground and dies. Everybody wants to be that, you know, you're just like, that doesn't sound fun to me at all. Which I think is why there's this parallel highway to the cultural highway, which is a religious highway. And it's wide and broad, and there's tons of cars on it. And they don't have, it doesn't have billboards with like girls in bikinis selling Coors Light. This one has like the, the, uh, health and wealth gospel, this convention I'm gonna go to, this next great Bible study that I'm a part of, which are all good things. But they're not necessarily if you're using them to fix your life apart from Jesus. And, and, and so this, this highway is really well-traveled, and there's people on it, and there's still just as many train wrecks and car pileups, but on the religious highway, for whatever reason, we don't talk about those. We just drive our beat-up cars with our heads bleeding and smile at each other. And we're like, oh, no, we're all Okay. And if we could just get to the next off-ramp, because that off-ramp promises me that I'm never going to commit this sin again. That off-ramp promises me that I can, you know, sanctify myself for Jesus. That off-ramp promises me that I'm going to be fulfilled personally. And so we pull off, and then it just is another Motel 6 and a greasy spoon, and it's like, wow, this isn't that exciting. And so people are like, why don't you share your faith? Why don't you share your faith? But most of us are driving on a religious highway going, I don't know the difference between this highway and that highway. I just know they told me if I prayed this prayer, I'd get on this highway. And I don't even know if I want anybody else to join me here. You should feel guilty about sharing that faith. I mean, you should feel bad to invite someone to drive on the religious highway. Jesus was not a fond follower of religion. And so what you find is that there's this this Jesus way, 
that is really small and really narrow and really simple. And it's on this path that he, uh, we hike and we hike slowly. He's not in a hurry. And it kind of bums you out because you're like, aren't we going to get there? And then over time you realize, well, where were we headed? Because if we're with Jesus, we're there. It's not like we're going to get there. Getting there was to get to Jesus. And you realize that you're not very good at walking and following with Jesus. You're good at driving fast. You're good at producing. You're good at sort of consuming. You're not really good at just leaving everything that's unnecessary and following him. And so he stops a lot. He stops all the time. Some guy's laying in the middle of the road, and he's going to stop, and he's going to give him his last sip of water. And you're thinking, oh, my gosh, we're stopping again. Right? It drives you crazy. Almost you want to distract him, like, hey, don't look. Don't look over there. Just keep walking because we know we're going to stop again. We're always going to stop. And you can hear the hum of the cultural highway and the religious highway, and it sounds so good and exciting and fresh. And you're like, does anyone even know we're over here? And Jesus is like, I don't care. Right? He was very subversive. He didn't advertise well. And so, and so here you are, but eventually you sort of get the hang of this thing. And so your, your walk becomes a rhythm and you're okay with stopping. You start to like what he likes. You stop when he stops. You are sad about what he's sad about. You rejoice over what he rejoices with. And you're not that bummed when <clears throat> somebody else joins the pack, whether there are people who were in this cul-de-sac screwing their lives up and just a mess, or if there are people who are really arrogant and think they know how to hike better than Jesus. And I don't know if you've met those people, but they're, um, we don't have any at my church, so I'm glad about that. But, but what's, what's great about it is that, that your affections change, your heart change, your, the, the way you walk and live starts to change. But if you're not following Jesus down this path, if you're not content with your Bible and being with Jesus, then it's just all billboards and dingy diners. And you can drive on that religious highway for your whole life and miss it. And miss it. And so I wonder which way you're taking today. Which path. And the great thing is that Jesus invites us to just follow him. Like, you don't need a lot to follow him. You don't need a big budget. You don't need a bunch. Of, like, you can go buy the $90 leather-bound Bible made out of, like, real whatever, expensive cow skin. Um, like, we just have a way to make it really hard and expensive to follow Jesus. And he was like a homeless, unemployed carpenter. So he doesn't think you need all that stuff. You just need him and your Bible and some friends and the community. So which way are you taking? The next thing he says that I'm the truth. Jesus is the truth. And um, the thing that's unique about the Jesus truth is that it's a truth that transforms, not just informs. When we talk about the Jesus truth, we usually talk about it as information. And so we 
have this gift in the West of dissecting Jesus into all his little parts and then talking about his parts, Christology, soteriology, ology, ology, ology. And um, as if we're looking at this thing in a jar, we're going, look, there's Jesus, his appendix in the jar. I have it. It's so, it's so cool. And we could tell you all the information about him. The problem is in order to study him that way, we have to kill him and dissect him. And you can't kill him. And so the Jesus truth is really about a a formation, a transformation truth. It's a truth that realigns our lives, it heals wounds that we incurred in all our fender benders on the highways. It's not about facts and figures, about a Jewish rabbi that died on a Roman crucifix 2,000 years ago. But we're talking about how that rabbi is confronting me, converting me, recreating your life and your view of the world so many years later. The Jesus truth is one truth among many truths. So every day you and I have lots of truths that are competing for your allegiance, for your faith, really. What makes the Jesus truth stand out are the people that keep running into it and their lives get transformed. So it's the person that was in the cul-de-sac of addiction that's found freedom or is finding freedom. It's the person that was super greedy that's become generous. The person that was angry that's become loving. The person that was really smart and arrogant that became humble. And, and, And that's about Jesus. He's the one changing him. The the writer of the Psalms in Psalm 1 calls those people trees planted by streams of water. That something about their life just works and it's beautiful. It's not easy, but it's beautiful. And so at the core of this Jesus truth, you find these people who have gone to the cross and wept over their sin, wept over the fact that he died in their place only to feel his hand upon their shoulder and him beckoning them to rise as saint, as a forgiven child of God. And so this is the truth that is Jesus, not about Jesus. And it's a difference there. This is the truth that opens the blind eyes and raises the dead and fixes up people who long ago ran out of gas on the highways of culture and religion, and that it's never too late to encounter Jesus as your truth. And so when you think of people sharing that kind of truth, it's shared because it's alive. It's living. It continues to form and inform your very being. And so we're not reduced to these tactics or these cheap sort of advertisements. The problem is that so many of us um, know this truth upstairs. So up, up in the top floor of our, the living room of our lives, we, we have all the doctrine and stuff going on. We could tell you all the fun facts about Jesus. But it, down in the, the place where we live, on that main floor, we choose to either not believe that Or we allow all these other truths of culture or religion to shape us. All the while hoping that the man upstairs would just stay there in that pile of 
information. And so the Jesus truth never actually touches us or transforms us. It's facts and figures, and pretty soon we start to feel guilty. And um, and then, you know, Satan jumps on the guilt and makes you feel even worse. And pretty soon you're just like, can we just turn up the TV and zone out? Because I just don't want to think about it anymore. But if the Jesus truth is informing and forming and breaking and mending your heart day after day, if you're willing to sort of lay down the clicker and and not allow the white noise to cancel out Jesus, then the Jesus truth will realign you. It'll recreate you. He will be present in the deepest places of your life, counteracting all these other truths that you've believed. I'm not good enough. I suck. This is just religion. I don't even know if Jesus is real. Right? And so that truth is confronting these things. And the problem is on the religious highway, we never admit we have any of those thoughts, right? I mean, people can be lost in religion and we would never ask for directions. You just keep smiling and driving and clunking along in your pinto and uh, we'll all think you're great. It's not like that on the Jesus way. People are quick to say, I'm lost, I'm confused, I'm broken down. I need Jesus' truth, Jesus to be my truth in this place. I'm freaked out, it's dark, whatever. So which truth, which truth is directing you? Truth of culture, truth of religion, or the truth that is Jesus? Then he talks about the Jesus life. I am the life. And the Jesus life is a life that's lived from the inside out. It's absolutely personal, but it's altogether not private. And so it's all about your inner person. And it's a life that's birthed by the Spirit of God, and it rebuilds what is broken, it mends what is ripped apart, and forgives and forgets all that you've failed at. And so it's presently at work in the people who are following Jesus as the way and following Jesus as the truth. And what's happening is that the Jesus life is not this pristine life of kind of the, the gorgeous models in the cultural highway. It's not the clean and sterile life of the um, litterless sides of the religious highway. I mean, the religious highway is really clean. It just looks good. The emissions, I don't know what they do. There's no smog. I mean, this is a good place. It's not like that in the Jesus life. It's a life that's recreating us from the inside out. And so it's seen in men who are learning to love their wives and adore them when they drive them nuts, right? It's seen in men who are learning to what it means to give of themselves, to lay their life down for their kids and their wife, to protect, to provide. It's seen in women who are respecting their husbands, even when there might not be a whole lot to respect. It's seen in young men. 
young people who are finding it within themselves to be sexually pure. It's seeing the young men who are preparing themselves to enter marriage by loving Jesus, being responsible, putting on the Xbox controller, perhaps. You might have to do that, I'm afraid. It's seen in young women who are building inner beauty and character in a culture that mocks the very idea. I mean, you think about our culture, man. Let's put Britney Spears up and call her a sex kitten, and then let's watch her go crazy, and then let's, let's enjoy that when she's absolutely absurd and out of her mind. I mean, she's like our own little weird American experience, experiment. Right? What would happen if you took a kid at four, put him on Disney, and, <laughs> and now we look at him, we're like, mm, not good. <laughs> okay. Well, let's remember that. But it's so good for ratings, you know. But on the Jesus life, it's a life that's awakened to that. And so there's young women who are not so worried about looking that part, but that their inner lives would reflect the love of Christ, the person of Jesus. The challenge is this is the whole journey. I mean, the journey really is that the time that you met Jesus, the time you go to be with Jesus, is that in your inner person you'd become like Jesus. That's the whole game. The scary thing is that where Jesus most often wants to work is in the places we most want to avoid. And we avoid that really good by getting very religious. So if you think about this question, who's most responsible for your relationship with God, you or God? And let's just look at the way that you operate, your time, your energy. And most of us would come to the place of going, well, I am. Which means what? That God's just sort of like, well, I hope you get busy and get my attention and then maybe I'll engage you. See, it's not that at all. Most of the time, we're over here and we're getting really busy and we're going to show him how smart we are, how much we've learned or whatever it is. And he's over here going, I'd like to talk about forgiving your dad sometime. I'd like to work here. I'd like this to be a place where the image of Christ is being formed. And we're like, I... Can you hold that thought? Because I am in the middle of a great study right now. And uh, he's like, mm-hmm, I can. I can. I can hold it for years. But this is where we're going to do our work. So whenever you want the Jesus life, I'm ready to give it to you. But we're going to redeem deep places. And places that you might want to avoid and be distracted from. But you need to know that I'm good and I'm safe. And I'm dangerous, and we're going to transform you. And the sooner that we're about joining God as He recreates us into the image of His Son, then the quicker we can get off this religious highway and be about the thing that He actually saved us for so that we could be like Him. 
It's a, Jesus' life is a life that's redeeming our whole lives. I, I remember thinking when I became a Christian that it was sort of like, okay, from this point on, it's all about me and Jesus, and then whatever happened back here, I don't even know if he knew about that, you know. I told him, yeah, it was bad, I'm sorry, and then we got on with it, so. But the truth is, he's, he's aware, he was there, he knows everything. And so some of you have deep wounds that he wants to heal. Some of you have deep secrets that he wants to bring out. Some of you have deep sin that he's ready to deal with and unhook you from. But it's not because of how much effort you put in to show him how good you are. He actually is really aware that you're really bad, which is offensive to me. Um, but I'm okay with it because he's God. And he knows it. I mean, I remember when I was 18 thinking, like, I can't get any worse than I am right now. And now I'm like 38 going, how did I get so horrible? <laughs> I just get worse and worse, it seems like. And what happens is that he's just going, yeah, we're going to uncover this layer of sin and this layer of depravity and this layer of unbelief and But at the core, there's this part of you that's been united with Christ. And that's where my spirit dwells. That's where we're one. And that's the part of you that's most truly you. And that part is going to become more and more who you are. Well, I'm, I'm cool with that. I'm not cool with just being stuck. And so the Jesus life is a life that's all about you becoming more you as you become more like Jesus. Well, the truth is we're we're sitting here and we recognize that most of the time if we talk about Jesus or share our faith with about Jesus with people, we're not inviting them to a life that we're actually living. We're we're inviting them to something that we don't know much about. And so the the greatest thing for the world is not that we put together this flawless campaign. It's not even that you all go out tomorrow and share your faith. The greatest thing for the world would be if you really spent time having a faith that's worth sharing. And if you had that, I mean, if if, if Ben had a church full of people who could say, Jesus is our way, our truth, and our life, Everything else will figure itself out. Trust me. Because Jesus loves Bend. Jesus is involved with hurting people in Bend. Jesus is there. And if you're right behind him, you're going to find yourself in the midst of that dynamic sort of kingdom moment. So the question is, which way, which truth, which life are you living And is it the Jesus way, the Jesus truth, the Jesus life? I think back to that German traveler and I kind of go, if if we were having that conversation today and if she cared enough to even ask about my faith or we were talking about our faith, and she asked the question, will you share your faith with me? Then I think I I I would tell her how at 18 I was so screwed up that God had to wake me up out of bed and 
bring me to church for no reason that I knew of so that I could just hear about his love. I think I would tell her how he forgave me of selfishness and sin, how he organized the meeting of my wife and put us together on this journey. I tell her about the dreams I have for my kids. I tell her how he met me in the hospital every time I end up there because of those kids. I would tell him about the time that he showed up and held me when my parents got divorced. How he was there when friends of mine died and I was sitting in dark nights of doubt, wondering if heaven was a real place or this is all just a joke. And he could handle all those questions and all that anger and all that fear. How he gently invited me and keeps inviting me to give up control over things and people so I can love. How he graciously and patiently keeps coming after me when I've failed him so many times. How he helped me at a young age to get my act together so I could be a dad and a husband. How he walks with me every day in my marriage, helping us repent and forgive. How he's met me in the pain of my past and taken me to places I spent my whole life trying to avoid so he could bring healing. How he's redeeming me from the inside out, from things that I thought were unspeakable. I think I'd be able to share my faith with her, how Jesus became my way my truth, and my life. And how every day wakes me up to go, hey, you're back on the cultural freeway or you're, you're getting off another religious cul-de-sac here and welcomes me back onto the, the trail. See, if God prompted us down that path, we would have something really beautiful to share with the world. And I think that would change the world. But it all starts with you answering that question. Is Jesus your way, your truth, and your life? Let's pray. Jesus, uh, we come to you this morning and uh, we're grateful. I'm grateful that, that there's people in this room that care people in this room that that don't want to be on religious highways or cultural highways, they do want to have their face covered with the dust of your feet from walking behind you. And so, Jesus, I pray that you would give us the courage to drop our car keys, take off all the things that are unnecessary, and follow you as our way is our truth and our life. I pray that this church, God, would just grow into a mighty force of people that are all about Jesus' love and that Bend would be a different place, not because as a church they divide and conquer, but because of a church that is really full of people for whom Jesus has ruined them.
and become their way, their truth, and their life. That they could subversively and quietly live that out among a broken people whom you love and you seek to redeem. And so, God, give grace to each one that they could choose um, you authentically, deeply, honestly. And I pray this church would always be a messy, messy place where people are just real and authentic and, uh, and you're just doing some beautiful works of redemption in the midst of that mess. We thank you and love you in Christ's name. Amen.